This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only $8.95 a month. You may ask, how can I save so much money? What's the catch? Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. This means crystal clear sound and cheaper phone bills. Broadvoice has been ranked in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 and Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Get Broadvoice right now for only $8.95 a month. Keep your existing phone number for free and Broadvoice will send you their easy plug-in adapter free. All this and you get unlimited local calling for just $8.95 a month. Plus, for a limited time, Broadvoice will even give you your first month free. Do what we did here at Blaze Radio. Make the switch today at Broadvoice.com or call And welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, sitting in for the vacationing Glenn Beck. If you weren't listening yesterday, I'll tell you a little about myself. I actually got my start in media with Glenn a few years back, but I was a cop. I was never a media guy. I wasn't a radio guy or a TV guy. I was a, uh, a, a law enforcement guy, then a business person, who really found a love for media after, after being called on air to give my subject matter expertise, realized our country was a bit of a mess and wanted to share that expertise and, and help solve some of the problems. I host a radio show down in Florida and a few other cities. And uh, uh, met Glenn years back, did a show with him, went very, very well. And I'm so flattered, honored to, that he asked me to sit in and host for these couple of days. And, uh, you know, I want to I start the show by tapping that law enforcement experience and talking about something that, to me, is is really tragic. I mean, we analyze many, many issues through the lens of uh, law enforcement, through the lens of intelligence, through the lens of the criminal justice system. But rarely do we look at the cost and what what is is uh, is causing that cost. And I'm talking about the epidemic level crime in the city of Chicago. Now, there's crime across the U.S., but Chicago is an anomaly. And many of you know my work. I cover law enforcement issues often. Uh, but many, many of you don't. And if you don't listen to my show, uh, catch it on stream or you're, you're local in Florida or the cities where we're on air and you don't follow me on Twitter or Facebook, then you probably haven't been exposed to uh, what I typically do, which is use FBI, U.S. Census, Center for Disease Control data, local law enforcement data, and debunk the narrative of the left. Because I really think the left has done such a tremendous disservice by stifling debate about what I feel, and, and, and I'm, you know, considered, I'm, I'm not here to toot my own horn, but, but a subject matter expertise on, uh, expert on this issue, and I feel that one of, one of the 
the largest contributing factors, as do many academics, as do many analysts, one of the, the, the largest contributing factors to these epidemic level rates of crime is that we're not allowed to talk about what I think is the ultimate root cause, black on black crime. We're not allowed to talk about things that are statistically and factually proven. Now, if you're a research-oriented person, uh, and you know what the FBI UCR is. Uh, if, you, if you don't, I'll explain it. It's FBI every year puts out what they call their uniform crime reporting. And all, almost all of the police agencies in the U.S. report. Now, the detractors will say, well, that's not accurate. It's not complete. Not every agency reports. That's true, but it's an insignificant truth insofar as the agencies that don't report tend to be very small agencies with very low crime whose contributions would be statistically insignificant. It wouldn't really make a difference if a local law enforcement agency with 10 cops that had three burglaries uh, contributed that would never offset the numbers in, say, New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles alone, let alone all of the other agencies around the countries that contribute. So for statistical analysis purposes, the FBI UCR is ironclad. And that is generally accepted by by every academic, every criminologist, every sociologist who's intellectually honest. Now, the pushback you get are people who tell you there are other sets of data. That's not anecdotal. It happened to me. I'm, I was a regular on, on Dr. Drew Pinsky's television show. I was on the panel. I was typically the token conservative law enforcement guy. And when I would bring out the FBI and census data, which I'm going to give you some bullet points in a second, the, the social justice warriors and, and the hard left lawyers who were also on the panel would tell me, well, that's FBI and census data, but there's other data that contradicts that. And my question would always be, okay, where are these parallel universe uh, federal bureaus of investigation and, and U.S. census bureaus? Because other data is irrelevant if it's not coming from the source, the source being the law enforcement agency reporting up to the FBI. If the New York City Police Department is saying we have X murders, X robberies, X rapes, X burglaries, and the FBI is reporting those numbers as handed to them, well, that's pretty ironclad data. Police departments typically don't fudge their numbers. And, and you know, in law enforcement, we always said, well, yeah, you can, you can turn a robbery into a burglary to downplay a stat. You can turn a, an assault into a disorderly conduct. Prosecutors do that to uh, mitigate uh, a crime stats or the optics of crime stats. But the one thing you can never hide is a body. Murders are murders are murders, and you cannot hide a body. You can't turn a murder into an assault. You can't turn a murder into a burglary or a robbery. And so just focusing on murder, just focusing on murder, black-on-black crime is epidemic. The levels are epidemic. And sadly, tragically, the, 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 the most egregious perpetrators are young black men. Uh, the age ranges of, of 14 to 17 and 18 to 24. Young black men, 14 to 17, comprise, oh, somewhere around 0.3% of the population of the U.S. Young black men, 18 to 24, comprise about 0.5% of the population. Taking that latter subset, now this is not a John Cardillo number. This is, this is the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation and the United States Census Bureau. Young black men, 18 to 24, who comprise 0.5% of the population, are responsible for 11% of the homicides in the U.S. yearly. Let me say that again. A subset of our population, that is 0.5% of our population, 
is responsible for 11% of our annual homicides. That means that young black men, 18 to 24, are committing murder at a rate 22 times their representation in our population. But even more tragic, 90% of their victims are young black men. Now, when you have a subset of our population that is killing and being killed at rates 22 times their representation in the population and dying at a rate 20 times their representation in the population, well, that's not just a criminal justice epidemic. That's a public health epidemic. And Tiffany Gabay, my my co-host, my executive producer, is in studio with me. She's nodding her head yes. Now, Chicago is about the worst. You just moved. You relocated back to South Florida from Chicago last week. You lived in Chicago through some of the most violent years, right? The last couple of years. Did it affect your everyday life? You lived in a nice suburb, but did it affect your everyday life? You have a young son, 18-month-old son. Were there places you wouldn't go because of the crime in Chicago? Well, definitely. And I think one of the most uh, startling things about Chicago is the South and Southwest sides that are, are the most ravaged by crime are literally blocks or maybe a mile off of neighborhoods called the Gold Coast, right. where, you know, these are affluent, lovely shopping areas. I mean, anytime there are protests, um, anytime there are protests, anytime there are, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, riots, I mean, they are taking to Michigan Avenue. These are, are highly trafficked retail streets. Um, so, yes, this is definitely uh, impacting everyday people's lives. I mean, you can live in the suburbs, but if you want to go catch a show or you want to go to a restaurant downtown, you have to be cognizant of the neighborhood you're, well, you know, well, you're going Well, same in Miami, to. though. My, and Miami doesn't have that level of crime, but, but it does affect people's everyday lives. And it is so, it is so sad that the liberals won't let us talk about it. They want to talk about gun control. Chicago had for years, up until a recent court decision, the most draconian restrictive gun laws in the U.S. The, the absolute worst, you couldn't get a firearm if you weren't law enforcement. You couldn't carry a firearm if you weren't law enforcement or retired law enforcement. Yet it did nothing to mitigate crime because we know I'm not going to be cliche and beat a dead horse. Bad guys don't follow gun laws. But the statistics... When, you, when We talked about this yesterday, how liberals love science until science debunks the liberal agenda. When the FBI and the U.S. Census Bureau is telling you that black children are murdering at a rate 10 times their white counterparts and 90% of their victims are children, black children, in the same age range, it is cruel, it is racist, it is reprehensible to not let us talk about this and not let us solve the problem. And murder is the most tragic component, and it's the component we can most uh, effectively use to illustrate the problem. Because like I said, you can't, you can't skew the crime stat on a dead body. But how tragic, we're talking about murdered children. Where is Black Lives Matter? Where is the Black Lives Matter movement when a, when a young black child is murdered by another young black child? They're not there, they're only there when the anecdotal false narrative of murderous police officers, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later this hour, only when that narrative is promoted, that false narrative is promoted, is that movement there. And I happen to think that's a very radical movement, a movement that worships a, a cop killer, Asada Shakur, and another cop killer, Mamiya Abu-Jamal. But we, we have a problem, and it breaks my heart. I responded to these cases as a cop in the Bronx. Every time I responded to a child severely injured, fatally wounded, or, or dead on arrival, you take that with you. You remember their faces. You're, I remember their names 20 years later. 
Later, you have to do notifications to families. But we, we, we are vilified if we dare talk about this. We're racist. We're white supremacist. We have white privilege. We're, we're obfuscating the real problem of murderous police officers and American imperialism. No, we're not. There is a cultural crime problem within the black community. And I speak to many, many black police officers. They're just out of their heads about this. They, they try to get this message out there. And they're shouted down louder than anybody. They're shouted down more violently than anybody. They're abused by their own communities for trying to solve this problem. And how cruel is it we're trying to stop children from being murdered by identifying the root cause and we're being we're being silenced. But it's not only murders. This is trickling down to assaults and burglaries and disorderly conducts. Uh, yesterday, malls around the country saw something pretty reprehensible. The day after Christmas, a pretty busy shopping day, malls around the country were closed down. And we're going to tell you why when we come back. Stick around. You're with John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck program. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only $8.95 a month. You may ask, how can I save so much money? What's the catch? Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. This means crystal clear sound and cheaper phone bills. Broadvoice has been ranked in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 and Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Get Broadvoice right now for only $8.95 a month. Keep your existing phone number for free and Broadvoice will send you their easy plug-in adapter free. All this and you get unlimited local calling for just $8.95 a month. Plus, for a limited time, Broadvoice will even give you your first month free. Do what we did here at Blaze Radio. Make the switch today at Broadvoice.com or call 888-332-8036. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, sitting in for Glenn during his much-deserved vacation. Before the break, we were talking about epidemic level of black-on-black crime rates. And, and in Chicago alone, I just want to touch on, on uh, something about Chicago. Because we brought up Chicago because their crime numbers are really disproportionate to the rest of the U.S., especially with regards to murder. Tiffany, what are the uh, crime rates in Chicago? There were, there were 43 people shot and 11 murdered over Christmas uh, weekend? 61 people shot. 61. Um, since uh, the Christmas weekend started, 12 dead. Uh, one of them is a 14-year-old girl who is clinging to life. Uh, uh, tragic. It, it is tragic. Um, 785 homicides this year alone. Uh, this year alone, 4,300 shooting victims this year alone. That's up 1,300 from last year. Now, um, what's the population? Chicago population about four to five million, right? Um, in the in the greater. Okay, so it's about half that. Yeah. It's about half that of New York City. New York City, less. yeah, New York City is only at about 200 and some odd this year. High 200, mid to high 200s. That that's 200 and some odd too many. But Chicago, just to put it in perspective, with half the population of New York City, is averaging about three times New York City's homicides. Now, I always, I, I want to, uh, I want to get at these mall rampages yesterday in just, just a second. But I want to, I want to also uh, uh, focus on something that people need to understand. We talked a little bit earlier about 
young black men, 18 to 24, being 0.5% of the population and committing uh, 11% of the homicides. So 22 times the representation in the population. But you also have to look at census tract data. So even though it's 0.5% of the population, it's a very small subset of those black men, 18 to 24, in certain geographical areas. Now, I don't want to get political here. I never want to get political when I talk about dead kids, dead young men. But these areas, and I study this, I'm a geek for this data, these census tract areas are overwhelmingly the most progressive Democrat-run areas in the United States, bar none. In fact, I did an analysis in depth on this about three months ago. 100% of the areas where crime was at its highest, cross-hatched with the young black men committing the crime, were the most progressive Democrat districts in their respective cities and states. There is a correlation. In, in this particular, particular instance, correlation and causation are the same. It is the institutionally racist and debilitating policies of progressive Democrats. And it trickles down to kids because I worked in a pretty much a 99% non-white area in, in the South Bronx. But only about 4 to 6% of that area was, was the criminal element. The rest, the 94, 90, 95% were good, hardworking people who simply couldn't afford to move or didn't want to move. It was their home. And they were victimized by overwhelmingly disproportionate crime of a very small minority. And then the victims were black. The victims weren't white. The victims were black working families. But again, we're not allowed to talk about that. No, we're not allowed to talk about it because it really does stem from progressivism. You know, it's been more than 50 years since LBJ's war on poverty. More than 22 a trillion has been spent on anti-poverty programs, welfare programs, and the poverty rate in the black community is basically the same now as it was then. It's just a couple points less. Well, well, it's it's design though. This is by design. This is by design to keep to keep tens of millions, maybe a hundred million Americans collectively dependent on democratic policies. Exactly. I mean, food stamps, public housing, Medicaid, daycare were penalized as well if the recipient was married. So this really led to the breakdown and the dissolution of the black family. You know, according to the Census Bureau, 73% of blacks are born out of wedlock today. 67% are growing up in single parent households. This is a direct result of LBJ's war on poverty and progressive policies. And again, these are not the opinions of John Cardillo Tiffany Gabay, the Glenn Beck. This, this is data from the United States Census Bureau. This is data from the FBI, from the Center for Disease Control, from the National Institute of Health. All of these organizations compile and crunch this data. And so yesterday we see a result of this. We saw the day after Christmas, mall rampages around the U.S. Town Center in Aurora, Colorado. 500 people involved in multiple incidents. A mall in Fort Worth, Texas. 100 people involved in Memphis, two malls, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Elizabeth, New Jersey, and the list goes on. And the common denominator was these are young black men and women that those teenage age groups, that that 14 to 17, that 18 to 24, you know, teenage to young adult who are committing crime at disproportionate rates. And they're doing this, I believe, because the Democratic Party has failed them. The education system has failed them. They're taught to believe false narratives. Now, a pet peeve of mine, and I get flamed for it, is Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa was created by a guy who goes by the name of Mulana Karenga. His real name is Ron Everett. And if you don't know this, he invented Kwanzaa in 1966. And and shortly after that, in 1971, was convicted to four years in prison for torturing two women. 
the, 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 the torture was so severe, he burned them with a soldering iron, beat them with electrical cords. This guy is now, he's not sitting in prison, by the way, he did four years. He is an Africana studies professor at Cal State Long Beach. These are the people, Perfect. right? These are the people being celebrated in academia. These are the people that the United Federation of Teachers, we talked about the teachers union yesterday, that the UFT and the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, these are the people they celebrate, that they put into classrooms, that they promote felons, torturing, murderous felons, people who, who create an alternate narrative of American history. And I think it's a tremendous disservice when you tell teenagers, young adults, in any population, in any racial group, to disregard the truth, to disregard facts, to disregard data, statistics, to disregard established history, create your own, excuse me, create your own and act accordingly. And we're seeing the end result. And, and what's happening here is just another generation, in fact, many generations, that will then live in systemic poverty, that will then blame a system, the same system that was designed to keep them down, they're going to be conditioned to vote for that system. It is absolutely tragic. No, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, it, it, it's just absolutely terrible. And, and I think that one of the biggest problems we run into is the mainstream media and academia again. We're going to be talking about that when we come back with John Cardillo, the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, sitting in for the vacationing Glenn. You know, we've been talking a lot this hour about uh, epidemic-level crime rates in certain U.S. cities, focusing on Chicago, and talking about black-on-black crime. But we, we, we'd be remiss in addressing these issues if we didn't look at the root causes, which, which really uh, are, and which, which I should say, which stem from academia, right? I mean, all of this, everything we learn, or it's a big part of what we learn. We learn a lot outside in the home with our friends, but, but a big big component of what we're taught and what we take with us through life we learn in school because you're supposed to trust your teachers right tiffany you're supposed to trust your teachers you're supposed to think they're good people who have your best interest at heart and are giving you an objective view of the world and giving you all sides of an issue and want you to learn and express free thought and and even if you disagree with them if your argument is sound and your research is solid they're supposed to praise you for that. And that's what happens in schools today, right? And you're so impressionable at that age. Right? I mean, you're yeah. just a sponge and you look up to these professors. Right, and they're, and they're fair. Teachers today aren't biased. Well, you know, we look at something that happened at Drexel University. Pretty good school, Drexel. A Drexel University associate professor, George Chicharello Mayer, uh, tweeted, uh, tweeted, quote, all I want for Christmas is white genocide. Now, mind you, this is a white guy. 
He wants to see all white people killed. Talk about self-loathing. Self-hating. Yeah. Self-loathing and self-destructive. So then he, he doubled down, right? He, he, he tried to backpedal later on, but he doubled down. And, and he, so he didn't let it go with all he wanted was white genocide. To clarify, this is a direct quote, quote, to clarify, when the whites were massacred during the Haitian Revolution, that was a good thing indeed, end quote. And Haiti has wow. fared so well. Yeah. Haiti's fared so well as an independent nation. And they're just a center of culture, science, art, food, technology, architecture, engineering. I mean, this guy isn't out of his mind. So then he, he tried to backpedal, and he says that now he was he's the victim of a right... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm stuttering today. A, a right-wing witch hunt. And he claims that he was only targeting white supremacists and that his message was satirical. Drexel disowned the guy. Drexel released a statement basically saying... While they recognize the right of its faculty, of their faculty, to freely express their thoughts and opinions in public debate, this particular professor's comments are utterly reprehensible, deeply disturbing, and do not in any way reflect the values of the university. But they which do. they should. But they do. They that, do. Exactly where I was going. They do because you know that after he tweeted that, look, we don't know, but we know. Right. We don't know, but we know that when he went into the faculty lounge or whatever the equivalent is on a liberal college campus, he was getting pats on the back and high fives. And he was the coolest guy for the rest of that day. And the ones who disagreed with him were silent because they were afraid of being ostracized or of reprisals. Of course. Of course. I mean, even the boards of trustees have been infiltrated. So there's really you know, this is the thing people need to understand. You really don't have if you're a student and you're a student that's conservative or moderate and you have a radically leftist professor. And then really this is more in college because I'm seeing with friends of mine who have uh, elementary and high school age kids, junior high school age kids, middle school, th- they do have some recourse. When they complain, the principals and the superintendents of schools still get a little nervous and they tend to address the issue. Even if it's a token address, they address it and it typically squashes the issue in that classroom with that teacher. But at the university level, at the college level, you really don't have any recourse because the, the bias, the radical left-wing bias is institutional. And so who are you really going to complain to at Drexel? You're going to write a letter to this. If you're a parent or a student, these students are adults. They're college students. You're going to write an email or a letter to the professor. He's not going to care. Right? He's going to give you a token apology. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to kick it up to a department head who's probably a department head because they're more radically leftist than this guy. Exactly. And, well, you're not going to be satisfied. Send it up to a dean who's a tick more radical leftist all the way up to the board of trustees who got there because they're the most radical leftist of all. So who do you complain to? You don't. So you shut your mouth, you pay your tuition, and then you grow angry as a conservative. You come out of school having to deal with these people and become me <laughs> or you. And, and that's not a good thing either because only one, you only were given one side of the argument. You know, I've always said uh, learning and academics uh, and politics love one thing, equilibrium, right? And when the ship tilts too far left, that pendulum swings really hard right. And you wind up, and so the left winds up with something they fear most, or the right winds up with something they fear most. Equilibrium is a pretty good thing. We, we no longer have it. But we, we look at, so we look at a professor like this, right? And this is a question. This is a question for the audience. Tiffany's question for you. We look at this professor. We look at crime in Chicago. We look at that census tract data. Now, all the things we spoke about this morning thus far. And we look at what instit- institutional uh, uh, racism in the Democratic Party, how high crime is is concentrated in census tracts whose local political districts tend to be the most democratic, the most progressive. When we look at all of these things, we see that there's something happening by design. I don't think 
And I, I'm a guy, if, if you follow me, if you listen to me on air, you know the one thing I hate are conspiracy theories. I hate them. I'm a fact and data-driven guy. But I have to look at the people that are alleging that the George Soroses and, and the, the other uh, the Hollywood, the Harvey Weinsteins and the Hollywood billionaires, the, the radically far-left people with the money, with the influence, the media power to do it, I have to start thinking that there's something to them being behind all this. Why else would they fund it? Why would the union, SEIU, with billions of dollars in, in union dues coming in, why would they fund social causes? I get funding politicians that are going to be pro-union and give you better collective bargaining rights for your members. I get that all day long. That, that's why you would fund a politician. But what does SEIU gain from funding Black Lives Matter activists who sent New York City police officers to the hospital? What do they gain from that if, they, if these people are not ideologically aligned and pooling their money to turn us into a socialist nation. Yeah, it's societal change. It's social justice. And they have been whittling away at it for decades. I mean, if you look at this Drexel University professor, what is he really mirroring? I mean, back in the 80s, you had Jesse Jackson leading a Stanford student saying, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western right. culture's got to go. Right. Now at GW University, you can take a history major and not even have to study American history. At George at Washington. George Washington. You don't even t- need to know who George Washington is. And they have tried to gut Western Civ because of all these dead white guys like George Washington or Shakespeare. These are, uh, t- to the left, white supremacists. Yeah, didn't they pull, what would school pull down uh, the English department, right? They took down a, a, a portrait of Shakespeare and put up the portrait of a black lesbian activist poet or something. That no one had ever heard of. University no one, of Pennsylvania. Yeah, UPenn. Ivy League. Yes. They took down in the English the department. With English lit, right? That, that's they, right. They, they ripped Shakespeare's portrait off the wall. They put up the picture of this black lesbian writer that no one, and I, let, me ask, let me tell you, I put it out on Twitter. I spoke to my audience on my show. No one, including me, had ever heard of this woman. Now, you're, you're a little more literary than I am. Had you ever heard of this woman? I had never heard of her. I had to look her up. Audre Lorde. Don't uh, know who she is. Feminist lesbian poet. A poet. A, yeah. a poet. On par with Shakespeare. On par with Shakespeare. On par with Shakespeare. <laughs> this is what, and UPenn, what's the tuition at UPenn? 70,000 bucks a year? Yeah. Probably 120 grand all mm-hmm. in to go, right? With books and, tu- and uh, 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 what, housing. 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 Dorms, There's right. a word, right? Food and all that other fun lodging. stuff. Yeah, lodging. <laughs> <laughs> Dorms. Dormitory is what I was looking for. But it's nuts. So you're paying six figures for your kid to go to school to not be have to be indoctrinated, not have to take American history and history class. And have Shakespeare replaced with somebody that 11 people know who she is. There's a fundamental problem here. And we're trying to erase. But what they're trying to do as well is erase and sanitize white history. I know people are going to say, well, all history is white history. Well, it is. But that things sometimes are what they are. There's not, that's not racism. It just is what it is. Absolutely. One of the greatest cultures and civilizations in history. I mean, and we are basically erasing it. In 200 years, by the way, 240 some odd years, what we've accomplished, and, and we're being taught to be ashamed of that. Absolutely. Let's be ashamed of it. Let's erase it. Well, no. No, let's not. We should be screaming from the rooftops to these third world countries, to the Muslim nations with 5,000-year-old societies who are – their their greatest architectural accomplishments are adobe huts. We should be screaming from the rafters, look at us, be like us, the most benevolent – a generous country in the history of mankind. We freed millions upon millions from oppression, from from despots, from dictators, and and kids are being taught to be ashamed to be American. 
Absolutely. I mean, listen, Western civilization spans from Greece and Rome. I mean, every significant historical period thereafter. I mean, it's given us philosophy, science, math, a model for democratic government, advanced economic systems. Oh, All of that is nothing. Yeah, because because Tiffany, see, you're, you're getting bogged down. You're in the weeds. It's all about lesbian poetry. It's all about black radical lesbian poetry. Don't you understand? See, I just can't. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that I want to talk about, that the mainstream media doesn't talk about. Murdered police officers, and just how many there are this year. How many more there are this year than last year? The number depressed me. Stick around. You're with John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, helming the mic for the vacationing Glenn Beck. We've got a caller, Ron, from Pennsylvania. Good morning, Ron. How are you? Hey, John. How you doing? Uh, Ron James here. Um, just wanted to uh, chime in when you were talking about the gentleman that did it four years, him, uh, the founder of the uh, Kwanzaa and all that. Uh, I don't know what he's doing in the schools, but my, you know, uh, myself, uh, I spent 25 plus years going in and out of prison, and um, I I thank the law enforcement, uh, you know, for what they did by 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 locking me up. Um, I'm in a situation where I go all over the country, and I uh, speak to schools, middle schools, high schools, and even colleges, helping uh, students uh, make their next choice their best choice, and I really home in on trying to help anybody, help people. And if that if that guy that that founder if he's doing something like that then thumbs up if not then you, you're right he needs to get out of the way. So no, that, I agree with that. You, that's what you I wanted what? to I, you know share. I, I, commend, I commend you. One. I I commend you for what you're doing. What types of offenses uh, offenses were you convicted of? I it, a laundry list of things um, from forgeries to theft by deceptions, uh, DUIs. I spent a life of um, dealing with the opiate drug addiction, crack cocaine, and uh, they're even uh, making a movie of my life. Um, uh, JC Films out of West Virginia is uh, doing a, a document, a, a movie of my life, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living in a dream. It's, it's far beyond, you know, uh, uh, everything that I can totally understand and grasp, but just want to be in the position to help people and, you know, author the book choices and all that good stuff. I wish more people in your position had your mindset. When was the last time you were incarcerated? How long have you gone now without any trouble? I appreciate you asking that question. It has been May 14th of 2012. Okay, so you've and I haven't you're, had you're a four, drug four or alcohol years. or anything in 11 you. years. Well, God bless. Good for you. Really appreciate the info. Thanks for the call. Keep up the great work. Can I send you, can I send you my book, John? Sure, you sure can. It's, uh, you can just go to my website, johncardillo.com, or find me on Twitter, at John Cardillo, and all the information okay. is there on how to reach me. Thanks very much for the call, Ron. I want to talk a little bit about murdered police officers. Actually, I want to talk a lot about murdered police officers because no one else is, but I'm just going to give you names. I'm going to give you names that you probably hadn't heard, and I'm going to give you some names from uh, this past month that you probably hadn't heard. Corrections officer Lisa Malden, 
Have you heard of her? I study this. I'm a student of this. Her name came across my screen once. Miller County Sheriff's Office in Arkansas. She was killed Monday, December 19th, the week before Christmas. Assaulted. She and another corrections officer assaulted by inmates. Murdered. Public safety safety officer Jody Carl Smith. Murdered by gunfire December 8th of this year. Police officer Nicholas Ryan Smore of the America's Police Department in Georgia. You heard about this case. He was also murdered December 7th by gunfire. In fact, in 2016, there have been 62 police officers killed by gunfire, up 59% from 2015. Law enforcement saw 130 line-of-duty deaths, up 7%, up 7% from 2015. Now, some of the 138, I'm sorry, my mistake, 138 line-of-duty deaths, up 7% from 2015. And it's not just gunfire. We're still seeing, one of the things we're still seeing that is grossly underreported are 9-11 related deaths for responders to the the Pentagon and Ground Zero in New York City. Cops I know, friends of mine, have terrible, terrible illnesses, some of them terminal. We don't hear enough about this. And this is something that I talk about on my show all the time. There's a great resource. Uh, It's ODMP, OfficerDownMemorialPage.org. I suggest you go to this page once a month or go to this page once every other week. When you hear the false narrative about murdered police officers and how terrible police officers are and how they do nothing for you and they're overpaid, remember that the men and women who are our first responders, not just police officers and and deputy sheriffs and our federal agents, but our firefighters, our paramedics. I can't tell you how many times in the NYPD we were called to assist paramedics and EMTs who were being shot at from rooftops. They weren't even issued a body armor. There was no money to issue them body armor. And they were working alongside of us in the worst of the worst neighborhoods. So I I would love you to take a couple of uh, minutes out of your month and think about our first responders. We we think about our troops. Thank God we do. But think about your firefighters, your EMTs, the people in in a blinding snowstorm who will race to your home if you call them. They're not going to ask your race. They're not going to ask your sexual orientation. They're not going to ask your income level. They're just going to get there as fast as possible to help you and your family. And just think about them, say a prayer for them, and remember their names. Do that. You'll feel better. Stick around. We've got a lot more for you. You're with John Cardillo sitting in for Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.